My loves, I don't know if you're like me or many of my friends or the, a lot of the people that I know, but listen, do you have a cabinet in your kitchen that's packed with supplements and all these amazing things? They're all there to support your overall health, to boost your gut, to boost your vitality, but you ended up being like too overwhelmed to even like look at it and create a routine with them that you're like just ended up skipping taking your supplements. I've been there too, honey. And this is why I want to take a moment to share an incredible discovery with you, my darling. It's called AG1. And let me tell you, it's been a game changer for me. And how I noticed that it was a big game changer for me was when me and my dad were, do were, we were doing that grief walk from uh, friends through Spain. And I got to tell you, the food was delicious, but it wasn't the best for my gut. But how I kept the gut going, how I kept boosting my vitality throughout the walk was every morning I would put a pack, a packet of the AG1 into a water bottle and I would shake it up and I would drink it. Even my dad, who's always like, here, dad, here, this is good for you. He's like, no, thanks. And granted, you know, the homies got, you know, he's doing really well um, health-wise. And, but he's always like, nope. But with this, with AG1, he was like, okay, give me some. And he would take it. And it's, there is, it's, it's amazing when you take something, uh, you know, with routine and you start to see the results. It's like, okay, fine. I found my thing. Especially because it's just one serving that has the most straightforward way and simplest way for you to get your vitamins and your nutrients and your minerals and your prebiotics and probiotics. And honestly, why take a bunch of different things when you can just get um, all of it in, in one scoop of this delicious magic AG1 powder? into a glass of water or into the beautiful uh, water bottle that you get. This is how I start my days, honey. And honestly, if you're a traveler, they also uh, will send you, you could also get the AG1 travel packs and they're amazing. And, and every time I have a friend that comes over to the house, I'm always like, here, take a couple of these and try it out for yourself, you know? And I want to share an amazing, exclusive, delicious offer with you today. If you want to take ownership of your health, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com backslash sa. So that's drinkag1number1.com backslash sa. Um, you got that. And if you don't go to the show notes, it's there. And cheers to your health and your vitality. Hey, my love, listen real quick. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as we love creating it for you. And if you find value in what we're doing and you want to show some appreciation, we have two simple ways for you to contribute. The first one is by buying us a coffee. It's a one-time donation that goes a long way in helping us cover production costs, equipment upgrades, and other podcast-related expenses. Every cup of coffee makes a significant impact in our ability to keep delivering the quality content that you love. The second option is for you to become a monthly supporter by buying us a coffee on a reoccurring basis. By setting up a monthly donation, you become an integral part of our podcast sustainability. And we get to continue to create the content you love with confidence, knowing that we have a reliable source of funding coming in. 
And we love you for that. Listen, head over to the show notes and click the link there or go to buymeacoffee.com backslash spiritually sassy show. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com backslash spiritually sassy show. And I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have already been buying us a coffee. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your generosity is so wonderful. And we're incredibly grateful for your support. What's up, my loves, and welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show, where we are redefining what it means to be spiritual in the modern world. I'm your host, Sade Simone, and it's such a joy to be here with you today. Listen, today's guest is someone that I met um, this past summer uh, of 2023. I had finished facilitating my five-day somatic activated healing retreat, and then I was asked to not right on the spot. They had already pre-programmed this a, long, a while back. But right after I finished my retreat on Friday afternoon, then I was co-facilitating a retreat with these legends. And one of these legends was Dr. Dawson Church. And it's truly an honor, the fact that I am metaphorically and literally sitting at the same table with legends like these, you know? It's truly um, unimagin- unimaginable where my work has taken me and continues to take me. Uh, Dr. Dawson Church is a, a church is a best-selling author, a scientist, a visionary, and a scholar. He is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books, and these books are pretty freaking legendary, honey. The Genie in Your Genes was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. I mean, Mind to Matter showed that the brain creates much of what we think of as, quotes, objective reality. And another one of his best-selling books is Bliss Brain demonstrates that peak mental states rapidly remodel the brain for happiness. Amazing. Dawson Church, this is the part that I, I love all the best-selling books, shit like, yes, honey, get all that shit, amazing, epic. And then, you know, my Bodhisattva in the making heart. If you don't know what Bodhisattva is, keep listening to the to the to this podcast and all podcasts, and you're gonna formulate the idea. But essentially, my Bodhisattva in the making, my Bodhisattva vow listens to something like this that I'm about to tell you. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. So Dawson founded the Veterans Stress Solution, which has offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans with PTSD. His groundbreaking research has been published in many prestigious scientific journals. He shares how to apply these breakthroughs to health and athletic performance through EFTUniverse.com, one of the most visited alternative healing sites on the internet, honey. And I just want to quickly say that it's amazing. Sometimes, you know, we meet our, our, these legends in a space, you know, it's almost some, sometimes, you know, they don't fit the bill of what we hope they would. Uh, Or perhaps they're, they're older and they're kind of more reserved and their joy is less pronounced. 
However, this man's joy, this is when I knew I was like, uh, can you be on my podcast? It's like, I was going to ask you to be on my podcast. Yeah. So this man's joy is so palpable and it's so like, it's, it's this a fragrance in, in the air around him. And to me, that is a, a real signal of someone who's deliberate to becoming free for the benefit of all beings. Enough talking. Get into the episode. I love you all. Enjoy. Dr. Dawson Church. Hello, my dear. Hi. Welcome to the show. It is so good to see you and connect with you, body, heart, spirit. Oh, thank you, my dear. Same. The feeling is mutual. We got on before we, we pressed recording. We were already laughing out loud, <laughs> uh, which is what I remember when we met um, in the summer, this last summer of 2023 in upstate New York at the Omega Institute. It was such a joy and it's such a pleasure to meet you. You know, um, Dale Carnegie, who wrote this best-selling book about winning friends and influencing people in the 1930s and was famous in the 40s and 50s, he said his mother told him it takes years to get to know somebody, you know, if you like them or not. And he said she was wrong. Sometimes you meet people, you sense a, just whether it's a karmic bond or a, a, a similar energy, whatever it might be, and you just you just know, you you feel oneness right away. With with you, Sai, I felt that. I just I just felt your energy and it was just so beautiful and so welcoming, so easy, so um so harmless, not in a, a pejorative sense, but in the sense in, in a Buddha, the Buddhist sense, you know, just there's no there's there's no ill will in this energy field over here. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's so beautiful to hear. Thank you so much. Because it's, you know, in the in the training that we're doing with the in the somatic activated healing training, this is something that I'm trying to I'm trying to, I'm doing my best effort to train the students, soon to be teachers of that method. This exact thing. Can your presence be harmless? Can your presence be safe? Can your presence be creative and inviting and loving? Can you do all of it non-verbally? So thank you for thank you for affirming that the work is working, Doctor Dawson Church. I'll take that. Thank you very much. And it's mutual, show. mutual, my darling. Same. <laughs> thank you. Beautiful. Listen. So right away, I want to dive into um, the incredible book. I mean, you've written so many books, but I want to talk about the genie in your genes, which was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. Can you dive into that a little bit more? I think. We know the impact of stress, chronic stress, and replaying memories in our mind that activate, you know, textured emotions in our body. We know that that is inflammatory, but I don't think if we truly knew the, the depth of it, we would make better choices. So can you speak about that for us, my darling? Absolutely. And so we know that our bodies are driven by the, about 100,000 proteins. There are about 100,000 proteins. The word protein means primary, our primary importance, they're that important as molecules. And these proteins are synthesized by genes. And so we have this whole array of about 24,000 genes that contain the blueprints for making those proteins. And so people know about some proteins and about some hormones and neurotransmitters. They know we have, have hormones like cortisol that rise when we're stressed. And we know we have neurotransmitters like adrenaline, norepinephrine that rise when we're worried or thinking negative thoughts. What they don't realize and don't step back far enough to contemplate is that 
all of those molecules have their instructions encoded in genes. And so if that cortisol is rising, a gene must have popped on and your body must have given that gene instructions to make, to, to synthesize, to make that molecule. So we have a gene called CYP11B1, and that is the gene for cortisol. And that gene is signaled by real danger. So when you are walking across the street and a uh, somebody's just weaving in and out of traffic and, and it's a dangerous situation, you your body will send that that on signal to CYP11B1 and it will make cortisol. The problem is that when you are thinking about that situation or talking to your friend about it later on, your body is also making cortisol. If you are ruminating about it a week later, if you've now got into a pattern of what are called intrusive thoughts, and another big study found that about half of our thoughts are, are intrusive. They're, they're popping in. We don't want them. They aren't helpful to us at all. This making us crazy, and yet they're happening. And so those intrusive thoughts, they are also turning on that very same gene, CYP11B1, and making cortisol. And so wow. we're awash. I, I measure cortisol in people. We've done giant studies of cortisol, and people who are safe, secure, they have refrigeration, they have roofs over their heads, they have, have a decent paycheck, they have a soft bed to sleep in, there are no predators creeping up on them in a cave at night. And their cortisol is at a level like they were in the jungle. So that's what we need to start to reverse. And these tools that you're teaching are ones that can do that because you feel in your body what happens when you apply them. And that's cortisol going down and this whole process going into reverse. So that's what the, the gene in your genes is all about. Mm, beautiful. Wow. That's so amazing. And you also have done, have helped over 20,000 uh, veterans go through this um, process of, I mean, I'm assuming you obviously brought this material in helping to reduce high level of cortisol because the post-traumatic stress disorder is the replaying of them of the traumatic memory and which therefore inflammates the body, which therefore inflames the genetic makeup and and, you know, sends them off into chronic illness and a variety of different things, right? Addiction, all, you know, all the above. And you've helped over 20,000 veterans with this, with this work. What was that work like, working with people who are highly traumatized? Did you see the um, big changes? I mean, I know that you have. Just tell the listener <laughs> for them to know the depth of this insane practice um, that you have. Uh, we've done... Uh, over um, six randomized controlled trials of this method with veterans or people in extreme distress with high levels of PTSD. And so the clinical evidence shows that they have about a 65% drop in their symptoms in only six one-hour sessions. So it's really quick, it's really efficient, and they emerge from those six one-hour sessions without that diagnosis of PTSD. Their, their symptoms have dropped to a level where the flashbacks have gone away, the nightmares have gone away, all of these things have shifted. Those intrusive thoughts aren't there, they are no longer hypervigilant. But I remember one young Iraqi vet, I'm getting actually chills as I think about this guy, and um, his, his worst experience there was uh, a friend of his was killed, and his friend was shot by a sniper, and he was a medic. And one of his jobs was he had to clean the uniforms of people who'd been killed to send back to 
their parents with their personal effects. Mm. And he, he drew the, the, the card of having to clean his dead friend's uniform. And the uniform smelled really bad after a few days in the Iraqi sun, over 100 degree heat. And he literally was in the medic hut, dipping this uniform in bleach. And the smell was so bad from the helmet, from the clothing, that he had to run outside, take a few gulps of breath, and then run back inside, dip it in bleach a little bit, then run back outside again. He couldn't even breathe in there. The smell was so bad. And he was so triggered by this, when he was describing the experience to me, he was a 10 out of 10 in terms of stress. We did that the, that same routine we've now done with those 22,000 veterans. We I just did it with him sequentially, bit by bit, had him think about the heat, had him think about the this, this smell, had him think about uh, what he, he called this the worst day of his life. This was the worst event of his, his entire time in Iraq. And his stress levels went from a 10 out of 10, off the charts, 8, 7, 5, 4, 3. Eventually, he was at a zero. And I ran into him again about six months later, and I talked to him again about the uniform. And he just said, you know, I'm glad I was the one who drew the, the card to clean his uniform. I did it with love and sent it back to his family. So here is taken the worst experience of his life. Formerly, he now reperceives this. This is called memory reconsolidation in psychology. He has reconsolidated that, that memory as a story of compassion love and connection, that he got to do this. So uh, did it change being in Iraq? Did it change the uniform? Did it change the smell? Reality didn't change at all. The lens through which he saw reality changed completely. And that's what these methods can mm-hmm. can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And this is the EFT method, EFT. right? Can you explain a little bit for people who don't know what that is, dear? Yeah, EFT is often called tapping. It uses acupuncture meridians, and there are 14 meridians that go through our bodies, 360 acupuncture points. And you can also stimulate them with using shiatsu. Uh, Qigong uses tapping. There are yoga tapping routines. EFT just has you tap, like I'm doing right now, on a series of points. So right now I'm tapping on the side of my hand with the fingertips of the other hand. That's a meridian called the small intestine meridian. And that meridian alone is usually very effective at calming people. And then we just tap sequentially through all the meridians while we're thinking about the worst things in our, our lives. And often the the person's stress just drops dramatically. You just see that veteran, you see that accident victim, that rape victim, that domestic violence victim, that person who had a a miserable series of disappointments in childhood. You just see layers of stress fall off the body. We worked with one um, group of of Vietnam veterans, and um, this was was er early on during the the periods of of the early part of of the Middle Eastern wars. A few Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, mostly Vietnam veterans, working on 30 year old traumatic memories. And we found that layers of stress just rolled off their bodies. One of the veterans, a guy called Bob Culver, said, I'll never work on a bunch of my memories. They're behind a wall, and I just don't go behind the wall. Um, After a couple of days of tapping with a practitioner, he was going behind the wall. After three or four sessions, he was literally describing horrendous memories from Vietnam, and he was just describing them, and he was completely, completely calm. So when you tap, now had he been describing them and not tapping, that would have resulted in what we call 
re-traumatization, where you light up those neural pathways, fire those stress signals in the brain, and then you're actually reawakening those and strengthening them. What you want to do is tap while you reflect on them. That changes the energy. It changes the neural firing. When we look at brain scans of people doing this, their brains go from completely emotionally aroused to being completely calm, often in just a few minutes of tapping. So it's the tapping that sends the body a calming signal, and we watch this now travel to the brain, and it just shuts down that emotional response. Mm, wow. So it's it's like essentially being in your body is the way, I mean, you're, we're speaking similar language from different points of view, which I love. So it's like, the tapping is a way to bring someone back into their body and to remain in their body while they're desensitizing the emotions uh, away from the memory, right? That's right. And um, cognitive therapies have a lot to offer for some kinds of conditions, and they're very effective. Research shows they're very, very effective, those using the mind. But therapies using the body tend to be more effective, especially for neuroses, for traumas that are, are, are physically based. And PTSD is usually one that results from either harm or potential harm, or even fear, fear of death or threat of death. Uh, so it's a physical it's a physical set of responses. And so you want to have a physical type of treatment. That's why all the physical treatments work so well. Diaphragmatic breathing works with PTSD. Yoga therapy works with PTSD. Qigong works with PTSD. Acupuncture works with PTSD. EFT works. They're all effective because they're body-based therapies. You're reliving the trauma, but you aren't just thinking about it in your mind. You're literally keeping yourself in your body with the breathing, with the tapping, and as your body discovers it's safe, it suddenly loses the trauma response to that memory. And once it's broken that association between thinking about the bad thing that happened and going into fight or flight, you break that association one time in the parts of the brain that are responsible for, for memory and learning, like the hippocampus and the amygdala. You break that association one time between the memory and, and fight or flight, and then the brain understands, oh, that incident from long ago, cleaning my friend's uniform, or the divorce, or the car crash, whatever the trauma might be, is not a current present danger. And you do not have to go into fight or flight. It breaks that association. And the brain is so smart, when you break the association one time, mm -hmm. you test people then six months, a year later, as long as you've done it physically, somatically, with one of these, these therapies, then it tends to stay broken thereafter. Wow. Let me ask you something. Do you think that there's no trauma that can't be healed? Oh, so what a what an interesting question. Any harder questions for me? <laughs> I mean, who has the chance to talk to Dr. You know, Dawson Church when you have the honor of talking <laughs> to someone like you in a you know in a beautiful, intimate way like this? It's like hello, you got to go there, you know, you got to bring it in. It's like, you know, you are the, you've paved the path for so many of us to be here, to be seeking, to be interested, to be alive, to be hopeful, you know? So, so thanks to you. And, and then here I am with this amazing, rare, beautiful karma of having to be able to like text you and have you on the show. It's like, so we got to ask the questions, you know, so sorry. And thank you in advance. <laughs> 
Well, uh, you know, the, the reason I, I, I feel it's, it's, a, it's a hard question is because um, I don't want anyone to ever think that your disease, that your mental health challenge is incurable. I just don't want anyone to think that. And yet what research shows is that, okay, certain things are really easy. Phobias. It is very rare that a phobia is not cured in one session of EFT. Phobias, fear of flying, fear of you know driving over bridges, fear of spiders, that kind of thing. Super, super, super easy. Even addictions. Uh, EFT has a great track record for taking care of addictions. Uh, but something, some serious mental health conditions, like, for example, dissociative identity disorder, DID, schizophrenia, um, I haven't heard a lot of success stories with DID of a complete cure. I have heard a lot of success stories with DID of reductions in anxiety and fewer DID episodes. So that's a success. Is it a cure? I haven't he heard that. So there are a few conditions like that uh, for which we, we, we don't see complete cures. We see improvement. And we see improvement with autoimmune diseases, lupus, fibromyalgia, psoriasis. We see uh, really um, great, great progress with many kinds of physical diseases. Uh, there's even a book on EFT for cancer where many cancer patients share the, the part that EFT played in their healing. Um, but there are a few really entrenched mental health conditions that are incredibly hard to budge. Now, paradoxically, among them is complex PTSD. And that is when the very, usually very, very early in life, or there was repeated insult, then that pattern of, of, of neural wiring and firing is so firmly established in the brain, it is super hard to change. We have some nonverbal techniques in EFT, and we have worked with people, talking about complex PTSD, we worked with hundreds of survivors of the Rwanda genocide in, in 1994. And these, are, these were children who saw their parents hacked to death before their eyes with machetes, okay? This is about as traumatic as an experience gets. And now, 20 years later, they've been in an orphanage for 20 years, and we're tapping with them. And surprisingly, the majority of them got better. So, um, so EFT is really effective. And, it, and there are a few things like DID, where you, we, we tend to see improvement, but not a full cure. Things like phobias, which are super easy, uh, it's spectacularly effective for PTSD, even complex PTSD. And then there are a few things that are, that are strong, highly genetic, and are, are hard to budge. There's a spectrum there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Such a beautiful diplomatic answer. <laughs> I love it. That's very, I mean, I think an improvement is, is kind of like all we need. If, if, if the anxiety is lessened, if the, you know, the heightened experience of life is less, you're less on edge constantly. I think with longevity of practice, you may see a full recovery, you know, like, isn't like the, isn't the study on like, uh, like when people have clinical depression, the, the depression medication only helps you with like nine or 11%. Isn't it like a really small yeah. number? Yeah. The difference know? between placebo and, uh, the actual pill it, for antidepressants is about 6%. So, uh, the placebo alone is around 30%. The uh, actual antidepressant is 36%. So it's a very, very small difference. And it comes with a 
huge number of side effects, loss of libido, loss of uh, often weight gain, uh, loss of energy and vigor and vitality. I mean, the list of um, side effects that you're getting for that 6% is is enormous. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, and that's just like, um, when you think about how like medication, which I'm a, I'm a hundred percent, you know, get your medication and do your meditation, get your medication, do your medicate, like medicate, meditate, tap, do the somatic dance practice, go screaming in the woods, go, you know, um, you know, go do all the things that you know are going to make you feel better, but don't neglect one thing for the other. But the reason why I say all this is also because, you know, medication, it's, it's a small improvement that it offers us, but it's so, it, it can help like so much when we're feeling so low that I, I just want to emphasize that, that like, even though we're, we're perhaps don't have data of a full recovery in a certain amount of time, um, that's enough sometimes, you know, that life isn't so hard anymore, you know. The, the National Health Service in England and also the VA have what they call the stepped care model. And that means you introduce easy, non-intrusive therapies first. And that's a really good concept. They don't always follow it, but it's it's a good concept. So um, ideally, people, people should get things like social support, a meditation course, a supportive app, a supportive social circle, tapping, all of these things initially for either PTSD or anxiety and depression, which are often, those three things often go together. And then if they don't respond, and again, we found that in our studies, about 90% of veterans with PTSD recover, 90% recover just with EFT. So if they're getting all of the, this this non-invasive, uh, non, non-drug, all these non-drug techniques, that really is effective for about nine out of ten people. The one percent, the ten percent that don't recover, what they then are probably, will probably need is intensive psychotherapy, maybe hospitalization, and probably drugs. Okay, so but it's a stepped care model escalating upward. It's also a stepped care model escalating downward. Like at the Oklahoma City VA hospital, the nurse tapping and the psychiatrist medicating work together. And so the nurse teaches the veteran to tap. The psychiatrist then uh, decreases the dose of the antidepressants safely. And then the nurse taps some more with the veteran. Then the psychiatrist decreases the dose safely further. And then eventually, often people get off the medication completely. So there's a step care and appropriate care going up and one coming down. But if you're sick in any way, and even if you are going to get medication or surgery, what can you do by way of self-help and non-invasive support? And th- that's available to anybody. Anybody can tap. Anybody can med- meditate. There are all these things you can do to support your, your well-being. Nutrition plays a huge role. Uh, mental preparedness, mindset. Do all these things for yourself. You don't need a doctor to do all those things for you. Uh, and your doctor's going to love you for doing all of those things. You walk into your doctor's office and say, I'm meditating. I have a positive mindset. I'm listening to positive media like this podcast. I'm filling my life with positive people. I'm getting a lot of social support. And they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it is It is. It is true. It, it All of it you know, counts. So thank you for naming all this. Let me ask you something. Like what? 
brought you into this space to begin with? Like, was there like a rock bottom or was there, you know, curiosity or hippie parents? Like what led you into this realm? I was just so miserable. I remember uh, my, my parents, I, I had a lot of challenges when I was a you know kid, preteen. By the time I was 12, I was pretty suicidal. I was just miserable most of the time. And I remember walking past a full-length mirror when I was around 14 years old and looking in this mirror. And I, I had, you know, back then, this is like going back more than 50 years, I, I had long, long, long hair. I was dressed like a hippie. I had a bag of books slung over my shoulder. I was reading Nietzsche and, you know, these... Uh, esoteric philosophers <laughs> and trying to understand the world and myself. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, these words just popped in my, into my head. Those are the saddest eyes I've ever seen. I realized I was so screwed up and I needed to fix myself. I didn't know how. So I joined a spiritual community and I spent about 15 years on and off uh, in, in, in ashrams and spiritual groups. I learned, you know, the work of Alan Watson, J. Krishnamurti and all of these great, great philosophers and spiritual, spiritual teachers, but I didn't get a lot happier. So I went to psychology after that, and then you know learned Gestalt therapy, especially and other forms of therapy. And then when I was forty-five years old, I was in a real crisis, and I made the commitment to meditating every single day. And when I made that commitment and did it, and I, I it was like come hell or high water. I will meditate every single day. And I was a terrible meditator. And basically, I still am all these years later. But um, I mean, my, my mind wanders like you wouldn't believe. But I do it anyway. And after doing it anyway for a few weeks, I noticed my money began to improve. My health began to improve. My relationships with my children and people around me began to improve. Everything got better. So it was both that you know, 15-year-old on the verge of suicide and that 45-year-old making that commitment there, there, no excuse. It's like absolutely, you can be sick, you can be tired, you don't feel like it. You just will do this, like brushing your teeth in the morning. It no, there's no uh, Jack Canfield, wonderful friend of mine, who wrote the Success Principles. One of his Success Principles, he says, a 99% commitment is a bitch, a hundred percent commitment is a breeze because it's absolute. So that absolute commitment to meditation for me made the difference. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad to hear that you also experienced this like really depressive, um, you know, these depressive states at a young age. I remember the first time I was like pretty suicidal in a really, really bad place. I was 16 years old. We had just moved from Brazil to America. And that was when I had spent a maybe a couple of weeks just like laying around. I didn't even have the energy, my mind was so tense and my body was so inflamed from the tension in my mind. And I had no way of disentangling it that I just like laid around, you know, until my mom said, let me take you to this holistic doctor and this, you know, Colombian witch doctor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Read the iris of my eye and he prescribed these herbs and that like, you know, it was it was kind of crazy. Like within a few days, I started to to feel way better. But it was this it was these ancient Colombian herbs that really helped me um, at that point. And then obviously through later in life, the only things that have helped me really come around and stay around the other side, obviously, has been meditation and uh, obviously dance. You know, the I mean, combination you change of that. so much when you start doing that. And so we have two 
we have a lot of structures in our brain, but one of them is called the default mode network. And that's the, the network we default to when we aren't busy with a task. And it starts in the front of the brain here, right between, between the eyes, where the mid prefrontal cortex runs all the way back, kind of like in a mohawk inside your head, ends in the back with something called the posterior cingulate cortex. But that's like the mohawk of thinking, of self-awareness, of of, uh, of self-construction, building the self. And that part of the brain, the default mode network, is is pretty miserable most of the time because it's thinking about all the stuff that happened in the past that we didn't like and the stuff that might happen in the future we may not like. It tends to obsess and ruminate about the bad stuff. And then there's another part of the brain called the task-positive network. And there are structures in there like the attention circuit and like the compassion circuit. And this is an either or. So either the default mode network is on and these other circuits like compassion and uh, mindfulness are off, or when we become mindful and compassionate, we actually dial down the activity of the default mode network. And so every single person has these circuits in their brain. We all have what I call, I call the enlightenment network in my book, This Brain. We all have the enlightenment network there in our brains. The problem is we just aren't using it. And so our default mode network is predominant most of the time for most people, and it just causes intense suffering. And when we meditate, we quieten down that network. It's amazing to watch an MRI scan of somebody doing this. Like I've done a lot of MRI scans of people meditating, and you just watch that default mode network go quiet, the compassion network light up, and their happiness level goes through the roof. They start to make all these wonderful neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. Oxytocin is the love drug. And you just get surges of oxytocin, like these Rumi, St. Francis, St. Teresa-like surges of of oxytocin going through your body. You are in love with life. You're in love with the universe. You're in love with the infinite. And so you're meditating. You've turned on the enlightenment network. You've suppressed the function of the default mode network. And these are physical things. We can see them on an MRI. We can measure them in a lab. And we know it's absolutely there. You just have to train yourself to make that switch from predominantly default mode network to predominantly enlightenment network. And when you do, you just break through to a level of bliss that's unimaginable to most people. Then what you do, if you're smart, is you say, okay, did this once, I think I'll do it again. I think I'll do it every day. I think I'll do it for a while every day. And after we found after about a month, it only takes a month, does not take 10,000 hours. It only takes a month. In one month of an effective meditation practice, we see people then having the same pattern, not just in meditation, but eyes open in the supermarket in the line at the gas pump, in an office meeting, we see that default mode network quiet and that compassion network loud in the brain. So it's literally rewiring the brain and that rewiring starts in one month, does not take very long. Mm, Okay, there's so much to unpack here. Thank you for... Thank you for all this. This is so beautiful. Now, let's talk about what kind of meditation are you speaking about? Because right now in the psycho-spiritual wellness world, people are calling anything a meditation. And it's so much of the meditation space is now driven by the manifestation 
of people's selfish desires that it's like, okay, so, so, so how do we actually become enlightened and we, life off gives us what we need instead of what we want? Because our wants will lead to more suffering, but what we need will calm the insatiable thirst of our unprocessed emotions, of our unmet uh, prayers, you know? So it's like, you see where, where I'm going with this. So speak about the exact meditation technique, because I have a lot to say about this too. And I'm so glad you're so clear and you're delivering the science on it, because this is an area that I get really furious about. You know, I'm just like, not everything is a meditation, my dear. Everything can be a meditation once you've had the practice of presence, once you're approaching your life from your body, once you're in your body, breathing with the body, once you are aware of present moment awareness and you know what it's like to not be in the now versus, oh, I, I don't know the difference between being present and not being present. So can you speak to like, what's the exact meditation that we are, that you were, this, that you were speaking to? My loves, let's take a quick break from the episode because I got to share something with you that is delicious, mind-blowing, and and kind of really sweet of a surprise for me. Backstory, which probably all of you know um, by now, I have struggled with acne scars um, for as long as I can remember. And I say struggle as in I've always wanted to not have them, you know? And of course, cystic acne is gone, which is wonderful, but the scars are there and they're deep and they are, um, they're, they're always like, good morning, Sa, how are you, darling? Nice to see you again. And I have spent so much money trying to get rid of these scars. I have, you know, literally gotten, I mean, I, it's pointless to mention, I have done pretty much all the things available under the sun to be able to change the the texture of my skin, to be able to say goodbye to the acne scars. For me, for me, because for you, if you think I don't look cute with my acne scars, uh, it is a reflection of the quality of your mind. Uh, okay, let's just put that into perspective for a second. So anyways, I get sent, I get sent a lot of products all the time people that want to participate in a podcast, people that want me to talk about their products. And I'm extremely fierce about the brands and the products that I talk about because I have to be a trustworthy source for my community, my students. And so anyways, I have uh, I have found, no, this product found me and I'm so glad it did. It's called One Skin. And the product's necessarily not built for acne scars. It's built for a variety of other different benefits, uh, which I don't need them right now, or I don't think I will need them because I'm fine um, with the way my skin is aging. However, if you're interested in transforming your aging process in a way that is healthier looking or more relaxed looking or whatever it may be for you. The point is, I want to share with you this product founded by four female PhD level longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. The product that I'm holding in my hand right now is called One Skin OS One Face. I wash my face 
and I put this on and I put sunscreen on and that is all. And in one week, honey, I swear to you, it is wild. The, compl the, the complexity now, the texture of my skin is changing so much. I'm like, this can't be true, you know, because I always dream of a product like this, but hey, now it is here, you know? And unlike most skincare products on the market, one skin works deeper than the surface level, and it's designed to promote healthier skin from the inside out. And check this out. In an independent 12-week clinical study, OS1 Face, which is the product that I'm holding in my hand, the product that I'm talking about, demonstrated uh, efficacy by strengthening the skin's barrier and significantly reducing visible signs of aging. In the study, they were able to have these epic results. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users and 95.5% of the people who were in the in study in this clinical trial experienced improved firmness. One skin is for everyone that wants to prevent or reverse the signs of aging with groundbreaking approach. One skin addresses skin health at the molecular level, targeting the root cause of aging so skin behaves, feels, and appears younger. It's time for you to get to experience a new skin health routine. And I'm offering you, as a listener of the podcast, a 15% discount when you use cold capital S-A-H, my first name, you should know by now, at oneskin.co. That's 15% off at oneskin.co with code S-A-H. And it's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. And the code is capital S-A-H. And enjoy, my darling, because we only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better age healthy with one skin. My loves, I don't want to take too much time away from the episode. So just a quick break to give you some delicious information and something that's really exciting me. Listen, we have launched the Somatic Activated Healing Membership and the benefits that the members are sharing with us is so delicious. They're saying it's reduced depression and anxiety, reduced physical pain and sluggishness. I can't even say that word. Increased a sense of resilience, increased joy and inspiration hey we love that improved physical health and energy levels improved mental health and clarity and it's deepened their connection to authenticity and self-expression so all this a dream come true because i've always wanted to be able to have a sacred school meet temple meets dance floor so all of this coming together, that's what the Somatic Activated Healing Membership is all about. It's helping us take responsibility for what we're carrying and time to say goodbye to the emotional baggage and time to say hello, open heart. Because, you know, the body keeps the score, as we've heard this. The body holds the imprints of our past experiences. And unless you have the tools and the time to process your painful experiences as they happen, it leaves an emotional residue alive in your body, which then turns your body into inflammation, then turns your mind into chaos, therefore closes your heart. Listen, and I've gone through 
this experience of carrying emotional baggage, a massive heavy load for so much of my life that it was like making my body, I mean, the symptoms were wild, chest pains, cystic acne, gut issues, depression, anxiety, addiction, suicidal ideation, you name it. All of these things were symptoms of unprocessed emotional baggage. So in the Somatic Activated Healing Membership, you have access to a multitude of practices, including the ultimate mind body spiritual workout which is what you're seeing me in the doing that that looks like a, a a sort of a regular dance practice but there's an entire mathematical process happening behind which i can't wait for you to experience it for yourself in the membership you also have access to um, guided meditations master classes spiritual talks courses and live dharma workshops with me once a month Maybe I forgot to say this, but there is somatic activated healing method practices every single day, live with teachers from all over the world, honey. And these are epic teachers who I have certified myself, so I fully trust them to deliver this message, to deliver this method. What we also have in the membership is a community page where you get to engage with other members. And we also have weekly inspirational prompts to get you going. So with the whole thing, this entire, you know, uh, uh, dance floor meets temple meets sacred school, the combination of all this together will give you the support to have a robust and foundational spiritual practice that, will, that could literally radically change your life. And you've heard the members, what they're saying, that it's working. So take it from what they're saying, honey. In any case, I love you very much. I hope you keep enjoying the podcast and... We're giving you a seven-day free trial to the membership. So get in there. The link is in the show notes. And um, I hope I get to see you on the dance floor. Big love to you. Peace. So I wrote the book Bliss Brain to scrutinize meditation practices from a scientific standpoint and see what was effective and what's not. And it turns out that most of what people call meditation is not effective, and it's not. It's, I say it's not effective, not out of any kind of, uh, of of personal evaluation. It's simply science. We park people in MRIs, we hook them up to EEGs, we measure their gene expression, we measure their their, their hormones, and we can just see right away this kind of of uh, practice is not very effective. This kind of practice is highly effective, and so science shows us what's really effective. So you want to use a method called a method that is is really effective. And what I've been training people to do for the last 15 years or so is to stack methods on top of each other. And what I've found is that the tapping on those acupressure points regulates your energy system. So start with tapping, just a little bit of tapping, like just two minutes of tapping, and that will start to regulate your energy system and make you feel better and dispel a lot of the distraction that meditators are prone to. Then you want to do some neurofeedback and biofeedback. And there's some very simple, uh, get evidence-based things that have been proven effective in hundreds of studies that will do that. Then you want to do heart coherence because most people drop out of heart coherence when they meditate. This is really big news, bad news to meditators that, you know, why would meditation bring you out of heart coherence? But it does. I've hooked meditators up and the moment they enter meditation, they drop out of heart coherence. So you want to learn to stay in heart coherence while you meditate, throw in a little bit of self-hypnosis. So I developed this, this package where you do all five things like that. You stack those 
practices one on top of the other. I, I developed it in 2009, and it doesn't require sling the mind, which is very hard to do. It doesn't require any kind of a lineage or any kind of uh, a belief system. You don't have to believe in anybody or follow any kind of teacher. You just do these things mechanically with your body. And what we found in study after study is that people just drop into that deep state immediately. Most people drop in there and they at least have some kind of meditative experience. What then happens in their body is amazing. That default mode network dials down, the enlightenment network fires up, they have these hormonal shifts, they have these heart rate shifts, their cortisol drops significantly, their immune system kicks into action. So you want to use a science-based meditation method like that. The vast majority of what you'll learn in books and, and classes and stuff, we found when we actually looked at the research into it, just isn't very effective. It's, it's, it's a little bit effective. It might work for some people, but it's the science-based stuff you want to go along with. Mm -hmm. I love this so much. Thank you for naming that. And I remember um, when they put Matthew Ricard, this uh, Tibetan Buddhist monk on the cover of Scientific American, I think it was 2012 or 2013. I remember I had no, I was just like, you know, I had just left the fashion industry, uh, you know, coming out of a massive rock bottom, really feeling lost. I remember Googling what is happiness? What is well-being? What is spirituality? <laughs> and then one thing led to another. The this um, um, scientific American had this monk, you know, strapped to all those machines in his brain. And maybe I don't. Maybe it's not 2012, 2014, 2013. One of those years. But he was on the cover. That's what I remember. And or he was in the issue. That's what I remember. Anyways, he's being quoted by the New York Times as the happiest man in the world. And he was speaking about the meditation practice that he does, which is the loving kindness, right? The meta mantra and just focusing on the continuous silent repetition of these loving words towards yourself, towards a stranger, towards a difficult person and towards the whole world. And they were able to see that with those practices, exactly as you said, um, that the default network, meaning discursive thinking, meaning rumination, you know, past tripping, future worrying, all that stuff, tone it down. And the, the, um, they, from what I remember, it was like the amygdala stress response in the brain. And you're this, you're the doc, you're the scientist, you know, all this language. I'm just saying from what I remember, the stress response receptor part in the brain decreased in size and the the CEO of happiness prefrontal cortex I believe increased in size and he he was showing the research was showing that if practicing that 20 minutes for six weeks you had this like this you know you you became a, the architect of your own um, neuroplasticity all of a sudden you had agency over how your brain was shaped and I'm just like Yo, like, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about this, but like, yo, just listen to what the science is saying, what the, you know, some of these mystical paths have been muddled and, and become deceptive, but listen to what Dr. Uh, Dawson Church is saying, listen to what these Tibetan Buddhist monks have done, have had their brains scanned to prove that some of these things really do work. And science is there to show us like, do this thing. It's not that complicated. I think people want a complicated path to healing, but it, <laughs> you know this, I know this, it's not meant to be complicated, right? 
No, and, and the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali, and the Yoga Sutras are just a brilliant uh, series of just a, a, a couple of hundred aphorisms written written like 2,000 years ago, and they, they really are one of the, the clearest embodiments of the spiritual path that you can hope to read. And Patanjali, the author, says that um, there are just a few things you can do. There are a few simple things you can do. One is following the breath, and just following the breath, just breathing in, breathing out, is 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 powerful. Now, you want to do that slowly. So you want to definitely slow your breathing down. That is what produces heart coherence. So slow breathing is really powerful. Patanjali also says that just chanting can be a complete path, that just chanting the name of God, the name of a deity, the name of a saint, the name of a person you admire, just doing that. Ananda Mai Ma, a great Bengali saint of the early 20th century, Ananda Mai Ma said, when I chant the name of Ram, there is no room in my mind for negative thinking. <laughs> now, what's simpler than that? And you, you see, I mean, Google Ananda Mai Ma, and you'll see pictures of her when she was in her 20s this being sitting there, she looks like an angel incarnate, and she's just in complete bliss. She's in Ananda, the Sanskrit word for bliss, in the state of samadhi, just chanting Ram, Ram, Ram. She just, that's just all she did. And that mm -hmm. brought her to, to enlightenment. So uh, we try and make it so complicated and so strict as well. And so it is funny. It is fun. You, should, you know, if, if, if your teacher isn't laughing his or her face off every day, if they aren't gently, moving their bodies if they don't have a range of motion if they're all strict and they're saying you have to do it this way and the master's rule oh and they, the other thing to watch out for this is the only way there's one way to heaven and we've got it we've got it patented don't believe it there are a million ways and you've got to find the way that's best for you in, in, in bliss brain i identify seven distinct types of meditation and for the person who is uh, contemplative it's fine to sit quietly. But for the person who's a mover, it's going to be dance, it's going to be Tai Chi, it's going to be spontaneously arriving movement, it's going to be something like that. For the, for the intellectual, it's going to be reading. Or for the, the vocal, it's going to be chanting. So there is no one-size-fits-all. You've got to find what works for you and then just practice that practice. But again, do it every single day. And just remember, 99% is a bitch. 100% is a breeze. Be uncompromising. What's more important than your happiness, your well-being, your health? Studies show that people who are optimists, who are, who are cheerful, who have positive emotional frameworks, worldviews, they live 10 years longer than pessimists. They have less heart disease, less cancer. Even if they're smoking and drinking vodka straight out of the bottle, they still have longer lifespans and less disease than people who are gloomy. So you have complete control of this thing over here. You don't have very much control over the world around you, but you have 100% control of, of this thing inside your head over here. Use it to just embrace the joy here and follow a path that just brings you to ecstasy every single day. After a while, you'll ask yourself, do I really want to only be 99% happy today? I think I'll just travel that extra percent to 100. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so beautiful. And you're so right about follow a teacher who is blissful because I remember wanting to be like the students of the teacher who are all very like zombie-like, very zombie zen. And I remember looking up to his holiness Dalai Lama and being like, wow, he's <laughs> cracking jokes. He's laughing. He's lit. Looking at you, you're laughing. You're lit. It's like, you know, this was like when I knew, it was like, I want that. 
I I want what the teacher is having. I don't want what this what the students are are. And, and nothing wrong with if you need to like tone it down for a while until you find your expression of bliss. Yes, but look for bliss. You know, go towards the bliss because I think people are you know forget that the path to enlightenment. And, and life is about finding bliss in the, all the difficulties. It's not neglect. It's not bypass. It's we have, we will arrive at a place where there's beauty and chaos, right? Yeah. That, that EFT, the thing about EFT is that it's not bypass. You're thinking about the trauma. I mean, you aren't bypassing the fact that your buddy got killed by a sniper's bullet and you're cleaning his uniform. You are what's called exposure, exposure therapy. You are putting your face into that you are engaging all five senses you are you are remembering that vividly and most people don't want to do that that's why they need a tool and once they they've done that a few times with the ft they realize oh i can go to the most horrendous memories of my life and i'm safe there to walk through that dark forest of trauma so um you don't want to bypass it you really want to have a tool like eft to release all of that stuff and really face it you have research shows like my spiritual organization when i was a teenager they taught that we transcend we just become angelic and even though we're all traumatized and we've all been abused we just move into these higher realms of thought and we transcend all of that stuff down there and i so wish that were true and research shows that it's absolutely the opposite we research shows you cannot make progress you cannot release trauma unless you actually are in touch with it and people don't want to do that because it's highly unpleasant to go and think of those experiences. So you want to do that, with, hopefully with a therapist or with somebody who's going to, going to uh, really give you a safe space, and then you have to move into it, and then you release it. Now, when you release it, and you're going to release tons of stuff when you when you do this, you release all that stuff, then you're at your core, your being, and your potential starts to shine through. Then you're moving into these higher levels of uh, experience, of transcendence, self-transcendence. And now you're experiencing those and it does not carry that trauma. If you try and get there with the trauma without releasing, if you're doing spiritual bypassing, that trauma will become the dark side, the shadow self, and will bite you. And we have seen spiritual leaders, whether it's the uh, the uh, scandals with the Catholic Church and the, the pedophile priests, we've seen the same thing happen in Buddhism. We've seen a lot of abuse in Hinduism. We've seen a lot of abuse in Judaism and Christianity. There have been a bunch of high-profile rabbis and Christian ministers who've been exposed as you know doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and that's the shadow. They're they're heading for the they're going for the light, but there's a shadow down below. So that's what spiritual bypassing leads to is that shadow which will come out and bite you. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, the trauma puzzle. I wish I could tell you that my <laughs> spiritual organization was right and you could you could you could just ascend, but the evidence shows you have to be there, present with that suffering, crying, wounded child that got so abused, that got so hurt. You have to be there with them. You have to love them. You have to tap. You have to feel every bad feeling in your body. But guess what? When you start feeling those feelings, they start to shift and you release them. We call them trauma capsules in EFT. Well, those encapsulated traumas, you release them. And then when you're willing to feel that, then you can feel the 
ecstasy. And then you're hit by this bolt of grace. You're hit by this bolt of love from uh, being in that meditative state. And you feel that fully because you first felt your pain fully. Mm, so beautiful oh my goodness yes 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 i love this so much um i think carl young said something like this you don't become enlightened by visualizing uh by visualizing yourself filled with light you don't vis- I- i'm paraphrasing what he said but it was something to the degree you only become enlightened by like making the unconscious conscious by bringing the darkness into the light and that's the essentially what you're saying you can't arrive into these into these transcendent to this transcendental states of mind where you are living grace, where you're living embodied humanity, where you're living as compassion before you have done the deep shadow work of making the unconscious conscious of, you know, feeling the feelings that you weren't willing to feel, you know, really being in your body and saying, okay, body, I'm ready to be where you have been. I'm ready to feel what you have felt and having enough, enough concentration, enough in the, in the right tools uh, that can support you to be able to navigate that process of releasing the old from the body so the mind could relax. You know, I'm often saying to students that the mind replays what the body is ready to release. And it's kind of, um, if you really think about it with like, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that, the mind is replaying and that feeling is like tugging at you, tugging at your heart or tugging at your belly or tugging at any area of your body. And if we can, in our work is a little different in the somatic practice that we do where we're not um, inviting people to remember their trauma in order for them to heal. It's really about being with the feelings that the memories bring up and dismantling uh, the memory from the feelings and being with the feelings. But essentially, we are arriving at that same place where we can be with practice, with diligent practice coming to us, we'll come to the dance floor. Um at some point we can feel lighter and it's like an emotional lightness. It's a, the heaviness of your past is no longer cluttering your, your perception of the present moment because you felt the past out of your body, you know? <laughs> well, you say that um, you're feeling it, the, 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 the imprint of the memory in your body and that's how our memories are stored. They aren't stored in the brain or the mind only. They're stored in the body. And um, this was first discovered in Esalen in the 1960s when Ida Rolf was giving people massages and suddenly they have flashbacks of traumatic memories in their in their in their lives so the body keeps the score in the words of Bessel van der Kolk and you have to release it at the level of the body intellectual approaches to this discussing uh, it theoretically is can be useful but you've got to be in your body re-experience it and then have some kind of cathartic release physically it doesn't you can't do this from the neck up <laughs> exactly. And yeah. listen, one thing I want to bring up too that you that we got to share over breakfast at Omega at Omega Institute is that you write and you I, I don't know if you spoke about this in Bliss Brain, but I know that you spoke about flow states in Bliss Bliss Brain. So can you speak about that flow state that you enter into when you're mountain biking through the mountains next to your house? Because uh, I, I, I want to emphasize to people that, hey, you got to sit down and have your meditation practice and do your tapping and do your dance. But there are all these other ways that we can enter into a state of flow. And one of the ways that you shared with me is that you hop on your mountain bike and you go for these 30, 40 minute bike rides, you know, twice a day. I do that. And there are a lot of things that will trigger flow. So um, 
A brilliant British radar engineer called Maxwell Cade in the 1940s after World War II, he began to play around with, with EEGs and measure the brainwaves of swamis. He was especially interested in swamis and their experiences. And so he found that they had this very, very distinctive brainwave pattern. He also then measured faith healers and found that they had the same pattern. He measured Chinese Qigong masters. He measured Central and South American shamans. And they all had the exact same brainwave pattern in their brains when they were in these, these spiritual states. So he called this the awakened mind, the awakened mind brainwave pattern. But his uh, successor, her name was Anna Wise, she measured a whole bunch more people with EEG, and she measured brilliant scientists. She measured athletes in flow. She measured musicians in flow. She measured high performers. And guess what? They have these awakened mind states. So it turns out that when we're in high performance, our brains are in the same brainwave configuration as masters, as meditators, as spiritual healers. And so that is this, this, this other place to enter into these brain states. We get into them through flow. So meditation is great because it sets up that brainwave at the start of your day and predisposes you to having a great day. But then you bring yourself into flow deliberately throughout the day. And certainly bring yourself into flow before you have to do anything high performance. If you're going to have to deliver a speech, if you're going to have to do a presentation, if you have to write something really critical, a blog or uh, work on a book, book chapter, bring yourself into flow. And mountain biking happens to, to contain a lot of flow triggers. Like, for example, one of the flow triggers is challenge. So you want to challenge yourself a little bit to do something you didn't do yesterday and maybe couldn't do yesterday. So you'll push it a little bit further than you did. So there, there are all these, all these flow triggers. And what we find is that people who meditate, after a while, start to have more flow in their lives. This, this shows up in the form of things like clairvoyance, clairsentience, synchronicity, uh, all kinds of things start to happen around them, much more flowing lives in real life. I also have done a study now of productivity. So we've had people do a meditation I developed called eco-meditation that stacks all these things on top of each other, heart coherence, neurofeedback, EFT. It's a little five-minute routine that, that people do for eco-meditation. And then they do that and they the, the process, meditation lasts about 20 minutes and then they go about their day. And we, we found now that after doing that for a month, people's productivity at work goes up 20%. In six months, it goes up 26%. So here, they are now doing in three days what used to take them four. This is amazing. They're not just more effective and happier in their meditative states. They are more effective parents, the more effective community members, the more effective productive team members, the more effective entrepreneurs. All of these things start to improve in your life. So that meditation practice, people say to me, I don't have time for meditation. I tell them, you do not have time to not meditate. Do you want to be so unproductive that it's going to take you five days to do what should take you four? That's the state most people are in. Meditate for a month, use an effective meditation method like eco-meditation, and now you're getting done in four days 
what used to take you five. So you really want to bring these practices into your life. You tend to get into flow. You then are living most of your day in that wonderful flow state. Not all of your day. I mean, I got you know a piece of bad news this morning about some a business partner I'm, I'm involved with and something they were, they were doing that was really problematic. And I got stressed, you know. So what did I do? I, I tapped. I then called a friend who was a meditator. I was getting overwhelmed. And I called her. We did a meditation together. I calmed way down. We sent love to that business partner. We didn't get into complaint or condemnation. We just sent love. And I got an email just before the show that the whole problem has been resolved. You know, so who knows? <laughs> but I love this. Love simpler in flow. <laughs> I love this so much. I I'm gonna share a little story before we close. It's um, you know, oftentimes in retreats when, when when I'm leading students through, like this is usually like it uh, on the last day of the retreat when people are going through the forgiveness ritual, forgiveness practice. And they have so much resistance throughout the retreat. And then they do the forgiveness practice and they are able to send love and shift their inner relationship to those memories. Let go of the the feelings that were associated with those memories during the practice of the retreat. And then a couple of days later, once they send love, they get these reminders, the universe of like, it's all resolved or I miss you. I love you. You know, like it's just the universe, like life is always communicating back to us. It's so amazing. Oftentimes we're too locked up in our own, you know, self-produced suffering that we're not, we can't hear life communicating to us. We can't even see that life is saying, Hey, you're okay. Keep going. You know? So I, I love these moments when we are able to like be a beacon of love. Life is like, Oh, it's okay, honey. No problem. All taken care of. You Everything's know. Change. Oh, so I'm going to tell you a funny story. Just for, it takes a half minute about about Omega. Please. So we were at Omega together, and a woman came up to me in my class and said, "Are you in touch with our old Gestalt therapy teacher? His name is Brad Blanton. Is a psychologist, and I took classes from from him in the 1990s, like 25 years ago, 30 years ago." And I said, no, I, you know, I lost track of him about 20 years ago. I don't know where, where you know, what became of him. So we had a little chat about what we got out of his classes, about, about Brad's classes. But we both had lost touch with him, like in the late 1990s. And so neither of us knew where he was or what he was doing. I got back to my room that day, flipped up my laptop, looked at my email. Bing! No. There's an email from Brad Blanton. <laughs> <laughs> Like I wrote the book Mind to Matter about about uh, about all these ways in which our our thoughts become reality, and then one of the closing chapters I have a panel. I say, okay, now while writing this book on how our thoughts become reality, here are all the absolutely weird synchronies that happened in writing this book. And there were dozens of them from, uh, I was scheduled to speak at a conference. I got double booked to be on at, at two conferences on the same weekend, one in Mexico, one in California. I couldn't go to them both. So they rearranged the, the, the second conference so I could go, I could do the one conference in the morning on Saturday, fly to California, do the second one in the afternoon. They rearranged the schedule for that. And so I was wrestling with a, a really difficult chapter of the book Mind to Matter at the time. And it's, it has to do with uh, the solar wind and cosmic rays and all these really, really difficult concepts. And so um, I, I, I had this, this mix-up in my schedule, uh, had this conference rearranged, flew to California, was seated on a science panel with other scientists. 
And the guy I'm seated next to turned out to be the world's top authority on the solar wind and cosmic waves. No. And I never would have no. had this apparent mix. I mean, your life just becomes so synchronous after a while. My wife says, like, oh, you know, what, 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 what synchronicity will happen today? <laughs> Flow is good. Flow makes oh things easier. God. Oh, my God. Listen, I want to have an entire conversation with you about synchronicity another day because this is so okay. divine. And I literally... Oh, okay, I can even open, can even open my mouth to reflect on it because otherwise it's going to open up for a whole other hour. But thank <laughs> you so much. Synchronicity is is a signpost that we are we are that the work is working, yes. that we are opening our hearts, that we're relaxing our minds, that we're letting go of the past. Synchronicities are uh, a, I, I like to say a byproduct of wellness, you know, of spiritual liberation. So thank you for saying that. That's all I'm going to say because otherwise it's going to go into a whole other topic. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Dr. Dawson Church. What a fucking blessing. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, yes. I love you, brother. So much connection, so much love pours out of you in your work. I feel honored to have you in my life. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. What a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, did you love this episode? I hope you did because I loved it. I felt inspired and activated. Woo! How are you feeling about it? And listen, if you've got feelings about it, whatever shape it takes, I want to know about it. And I also want to give you a gift if you let me know about it, okay? If you leave me a podcast review and send me a screenshot to operations at sadisimone.com, operations, you know how to spell, operations at my full name, S A H. D as in David, S-I-M-O-N-E.com with a subject line in all caps, honey, podcast review. If you sent me a podcast review, guess what you get? You get a free guide to help you and imposter syndrome, honey, because we can't do her. And when she does come around, we have to have the tools to tackle imposter syndrome. All right. This is my gift to you as you give me the gift of a delicious review. I love you and thank you. And let us know in the reviews how you love this episode or all episodes in general. Anyways, one more thing I want to tell you about. Dr. Dawson Church does have a gift for you all as well. You know the meditation that he spoke about, the echo meditation that he spoke about in an episode? Yep. He's got a gift for you, my darling. Um, www.dawsongift.com and that's Dawson D-A-W-S-O-N gift G-I-F-T dot com get in there and get your gift love you mean it see you at the next episode peace Okay, I'm calling on all the home bar enthusiasts right now. Are you ready to create a new kind of bar experience? One that's sober and filled with magic? Let's create a bar that goes beyond the ordinary, honey. And let's infuse it with the spirit of adventure, wellness, and connection. And listen, with that in mind, I need to share with you Anima Mundi's Apothecary and their wonderful brand new Elixir Collection. 
When I saw that, I was like, honey, we got to share this with the community immediately. Even if you're not interested in becoming fully sober, you're sober curious, you just want to, you know, kind of try something different that's still going to make you feel good and sassy and delicious and be like, ooh, I like this, then this is for you. One of their elixirs that I adore, it's the Euphoria. It's composed of organic, wild-crafted, and ethically grown botanicals. It's like a, a potion for joy. And trust me when I tell you this, honey, for those of us who are on a sober journey, or if you are on a sober, curious journey, you're going to drink this, honey, and you're going to be like, ooh, girl, what's in this shit? But hey, honey, it's just a bunch of amazing, organically grown botanicals mixed together to give you that, ooh, I like this feeling. You know what I mean? And they have this Elixir Kit Barista Series. It is gorgeous, iconic, legendary. Buy it for your house or also buy it for a friend. That got to be a sweet friend, honey, because that that's going to require your, a little bit of more of an investment. You could also just get each of the elixirs by themselves, right? And it's an invitation for you to become a spiritual mocktail barista in the comfort of your own home. You know, trust me, you're going to love it. Your body is definitely going to love it. Your mind will thank you and your soul will be like, okay, honey, okay, lit. Listen, and I guarantee you that people that try these elixirs are going to be like, oh, what's going on, honey, over here? I mean, you got to find a recipe that works, but this is the base of it. It's delicious, amazing, and it's going to get you lit. Are you ready to unlock the magic of this elixir collection, honey? Head over to animamundiherbals.com. I'm going to try to spell that for you. A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I herbals.com. Herbals is spelled H-E-R-B-A. LS.com. Or instead of you listening to spell this, you know, trying to pass the spelling B over here, go to the link in the show notes. And listen, don't forget to use code capital S-A-H number one and number five, SA15 at checkout for an exclusive 15% off your order. Okay. Bless, bless all this beautiful, sober, spiritual bar experiences that you're about to create. Love you.